and uh, welcome to uh, our morning worship. Special welcome to a number of visitors who saw coming in the door there. Uh, we're very pleased today to have Reverend Mark McLeod, uh, who is the minister of the South Harris Congregation, uh, preaching here this morning, while our own minister David is preaching down there. And uh, we pray now for uh, God's blessing upon Mark as he leads us in worship. It's good to be uh, with you again. Uh, let us come together to, to worship the Lord. Let's uh, unite our hearts and come before the, the Lord in, in prayer. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask, O oh Lord, that we would know um, something of that stillness that we uh, sang of there, even as we gather uh, here today on a, on a stormy Lord's Day. But we give thanks that we can come in together as a gathering of your people, and that we can come in and, and know that stillness that comes from coming before our Lord and our God and in public worship as we do just now. And as we come under your word and as we, as we hear it and sing it and think on it, we pray, O oh Lord, that your word would transform our hearts. For your word has the power to do just that. We see evidences of that in Scripture. God willing, we'll see something of that in a few moments' time in our sermon. And how we see that even, even in our midst today with so many people whose hearts have been transformed by the, the power of the gospel. We can remember a time when we were outside of Christ. We can remember a time when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And, and, and then we were brought to that position, as the psalmist mentioned there, where we became overwhelmed by our sins and our guilt where we became aware of, of the way in which we were lost, the way in which we were heading for a lost eternity. Uh, and, and you drew us to yourself. You worked in our hearts and you enabled us to, to, to cry out to you. You enabled us to call upon your name and to seek that salvation that is on offer in our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And help us never to cease to give you thanks for all that you have done in our salvation. And we don't just pray for those who have already come to, to know the Lord and to give thanks for them. We also pray for those who perhaps as of yet are still outside of Christ. Our prayer is, O oh Lord, that your word would be at work in their hearts, even now, even as we gather. That your word would draw them in, that you would bring them into the courts of your grace, even as we sang there in, in that psalm. We ask, O oh Lord, that that will be true as well, not just for those present here, but those in our community here and throughout Harris and Scalpe and, and Lewis and the, the surrounding islands as well. We, we ask, O oh Lord, that we might see souls saved and even those who perhaps just now have absolutely no desire at all for the things of the Lord. We pray that you may work in their hearts because you, O oh Lord, are the, the divine gardener, the one who's able to take the hard ground and to break it down and to turn it into the, the fertile soil in which then the gospel will will be planted in and uh, bear fruit and grow and how we seek that. And to that extent, we pray for a day of great things, uh, a day where uh, young and old, boys and girls and men and women will, will, will come and, and put their faith in Jesus and, and come and proclaim the, the praises of our Lord and our God. And we pray for um, the Christians in here and connected to the congregation as well, those here and, and perhaps those listening elsewhere. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would build them up in their most holy faith. Help us to understand the importance of, of uh, discipleship and, and building one another up as well and doing so as a congregation, as a family of the Lord's people, not looking out just for our own spiritual growth, but looking out for one another and seeking to grow 
as a body, as a united body. And may that be the case here. And may you unite the congregation and may you strengthen them uh, in, 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 in bonds of fellowship with one another. May you uphold those who are in leadership as well, the, the deacons and the, the elders, those who are involved in the different kinds of uh, youth work activities connected to the, the church and the minister as well. We, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would uphold them all, um, that, that together we might lift one another's hands in, in prayer and, and support one another, because we know that um, our enemy is powerful. Um, our enemy is fierce, and we are aware of that, the, the spiritual enemy that we face from day to day, the spiritual enemy that we face in the world around us as well. But we know that the one who is for us is far greater, far stronger, and far more powerful. And ultimately, the victory is yours. And help us to remember that, especially in our own day, with the way culture is going, the way our own nation is, is going as well, where we seem to be um, moving at a faster and faster pace away from the truths of, of your uh, word and away from what our nation has been built on. We, we, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would open our eyes, help us to see the, 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 the wonderful benefits that the world of God has brought to this nation, the way in which it has brought us to where we are just now, and that uh, people would turn to it again, not just as a uh, means of guiding us in how to live as a nation, but that many would turn to it to, to find the words of life itself. And we ask that you would be with those who are in government over us, uh, both here in Scotland and in London as well. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant them uh, wisdom, that you would work in their hearts and lives, and that you would raise up um, many of, of those who are your people, um, that they might themselves find uh, these uh, places of, of leadership and power and authority in our nation, and that you might use them for good in, in our land and even further afield as well. And pray for stability in our world as well. We're so aware of what's going on in different parts of the world and uh, more escalation of, of the events that are unfolding in, in Ukraine and Russia. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would indeed, in your time, uh, bring about a de-escalation there, that you would bring about peace, and that you would prosper your church in that part of the world as well. So continue with us now. Do us good. Cleanse us from sin. Cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. We come confessing it, acknowledging that we are a broken people. Every one of us here, sometimes we can come to church and put on a face and think that everything is fine, but we know that we are a broken people with, with all sorts of difficulties, all sorts of spiritual problems, all sorts of sins to confess. And we come confessing all these things before you now, knowing that we come before one who cleanses and who heals, who heals the souls of, of your people. So do so now, in Jesus' name. Amen. And we'll come before God and we'll put prayer. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we give thanks that you have given us your word, a word that guides us in life, a word that leads us to Jesus, a word that leads us to put our faith in Jesus, but also a word that shows us how to live as Christians. And our prayer is that even the young ones themselves, that they might learn this word and learn to live according to it. And, and when others might tell them that there's things that are wrong and things that are incorrect, help them to, to be able to have the answer and to know that in God's word there is no error that everything is correct because it's a word that comes from one who cannot lie and who cannot make any mistake and who cannot sin. So bless them now as they go to their classes to hear more about this word. I ask you all for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm going to read now um, from the, the book of Acts, the book of Acts and uh, chapter 16, and we'll, we'll read from the, the, the beginning. So let's hear the word of God. Uh, Paul came also to Derb and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. 
As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Uh, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stock. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, 
They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Amen. We pray for God's blessing. That portion of his word there. Well, if you can turn back to uh, Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, and just reading uh, again uh, from verse 14. So Acts 16, verse 14. Uh, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said uh, by Paul. Now, I know as a congregation, you, you're fairly used to hearing uh, people's testimonies. I think you've got, you have a few um, testimony evenings or fellowship evenings where you hear people's uh, stories. And that's, that's a really good thing. I think it's, it's very important that we hear testimonies and you, you hear um, explanations of how people actually come to, to, to faith. And sometimes when you hear testimonies, um, sometimes you're, you're maybe particularly gripped. You know, gripped by how the Lord has, has worked in, in, in this person's life. Maybe there's been some kind of... Um, particularly amazing outward providence or, or some kind of outward thing that's happened that's kind of clearly shows that some amazing uh, powerful conversion has has uh, taken place in the life of that, that person so an example from scripture would be well the obvious one we go to is Saul of Tarsus Damascus Road we, we always refer to the Damascus Road experience that's some some testimony Saul, Saul has or Paul has but also the Philippian jailer I think you, you looked at the Philippian jailer not that long ago when uh, Ian McCritchie was here again another uh, amazing story another amazing uh, conversion experience and often when you when you consider those kind of kinds of conversions we, we would say maybe they've got a bit of a sort of wow factor to them you know the kind of story that you'd get people at the front of a church and you know they'd, they'd share their testimony and you can imagine the philippian jailer giving his story at a, this kind of a, a, a congregation this kind of a situation everybody being gripped by, by what's been said but in many ways the, the most amazing conversions of all are, are conversions here like like this one with, with lydia those who are gently and very simply brought to saving faith. Without any um, earthquake, uh, without any kind of shining lights or outwardly anything particularly happening, but a powerful conversion nonetheless, where the Lord is at work. And we'll see that in a few moments. The Lord is at work changing and converting the, the, the heart. Because ultimately it's God's power. It's not to do with the outward signs. It's to do with the work of the Lord in our hearts. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll see that. And I think conversions like Lydia's here, they're remarkable for that reason. They're, they're remarkable because outwardly, uh, and I say this carefully, outwardly she has no amazing testimony to tell. I don't, every testimony is amazing. But what I mean is from a sort of entertainment perspective, as sometimes we think she's not got particularly entertaining testimony to, to, to tell. But nevertheless, it's remarkable for that reason. That's what makes it so amazing. That's what makes it something perhaps many of us here can actually relate to, that, that it is in many ways so ordinary. Extraordinary, yes. Supernatural, yes. But in terms of the outward things going on, we'll, we'll see that it's very different to the likes of Saul and the Philippian jailer and, and, and others. Because when you think about Saul and, and the, the jailer, and you think about the experience that they had, it's, it's almost no surprise that they came to faith. Because you know, if you had an experience like them, and you would say, I'll, I'll definitely believe. You know, if, I, if I had something like what, what Saul had in the Damascus Road, I would definitely believe, or the Philippian jailer. If I had an experience like that, I, I would absolutely 100% believe. But for, for someone to be saved in a, in a relatively simple way, in which Lydia is saved here, that, that is what is incredible. They're all incredible, yes, but that's what I want to particularly uh, focus on uh, today. Because I think these kind of uh, conversions, they, they, they remind us that, that that change, that regeneration, that conversion, it, it's not something that, that, that God brings about merely by outward factors. 
or outward experiences. It's not that you have to experience outwardly a certain kind of thing. It reminds us that the power of that transformation and that renewal is something that God does in our hearts. And sometimes it can be invisible. It can happen right now and nobody else might know about it. Something invisible, something that happens within our, our hearts. And, you know, if, if you're a, uh, an atheist or if you uh, come across a, an atheist, you know, atheists love to uh, try and, and uh, prove that even our conversion experiences are false. Um, and, you know, an atheist, they may come up and, and they may say, well, they might put Saul's conversion down to maybe psychological effects. Um, you know, he's obviously seen something, some kind of bright light, whatever it was, and they say, oh, well, that's psychological effect of whatever he went through in the Damascus Road, because he clearly went through something, uh, and that now he thinks he's converted because of whatever it was he experienced. Uh, or, again, the atheist might look at the Philippian jailer, and they, they might put the, the conversion of the jailer down to a, maybe a psychological response to a near-death experience, because he was close to death, he, he, he was very close to actually taking his own life. And they might say the trauma of that um, led to this uh, so-called conversion. But, but the atheist can't give an explanation like that for, for the conversion of, of Lydia. Its simplicity is remarkable. A simplicity that highlights to us the, the, the inherent power, the, the amazing uh, power of the gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, today I want to look at this uh, encounter and uh, I want to, to, to look at this in the, under the theme or in the context of the, the parable of the sword and the seed. And I want to look at three things, or three headings are kind of from the, the theme of the parable of the sower and the seed. So first of all, the Lord prepares the sower. Uh, secondly, the Lord prepares the ground. And then thirdly, the, the Lord produces fruit. You see this process going on in the life of, of Lydia. So let's begin with the Lord preparing the sower. Now, the, the chain that brings us to Christ um, is sometimes a very long chain, and it's made up of lots of, of different links. Uh, and one of the, the links in that chain is the Lord actually preparing someone to come to you and to actually share the gospel with you. Uh, there's lots of other aspects, but that's one link. One link in that chain that brings you to Christ is God preparing someone to, to share the gospel. And, and that's how it begins here. The Lord begins this process in the, the life of Lydia by preparing a sower. He prepares someone to come and to share the gospel uh, with Lydia. And you see that, that man there, Paul, the center of it. And initially there at the beginning of the chapter, he's all set to enter into Bithynia. But the Lord says, no, he thinks that's where he's meant to go. The Lord stops him. Sometimes that happens to us. Uh, we, we think we're on the right path. We think we're where the Lord wants us to be. And the Lord will say, no, uh, no, you're not going that way. You're not going that direction. And in verse 7, we read there that the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go in. It actually stops him. So the, the Lord is going to use Paul elsewhere here. And then, of course, gives Paul a vision a dream of some kind and in the vision he sees this man of Macedonia and the man of Macedonia is calling for for help and Paul knows what that means Paul he's very clear what that means he knows that the Lord wants me to go there the Lord wants me to preach the word there there's someone there who the Lord is preparing for me to share the gospel with as of course as it turns out there was quite a number of people actually that he was going to share the gospel with but but one of these people was this woman here Lydia now Lydia didn't know that at the time Lydia would have been completely unaware at the time but the Lord was putting in plan uh, uh, putting in motion this plan to, to, to save her to bring her to saving faith she might have just been going about her usual business at this time unaware that you know 200 miles away the Lord was working and preparing someone to come and meet with her by the side of a river to share the gospel with her and to bring her to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you never know really who the Lord is preparing to share the gospel with you or to share the word of God with you. That's the thing. When the Lord is working in our lives, it's not just that he works in us. The picture is bigger than that. We tend to think individually, but the Lord's plan, it's big. And it incorporates even the person who's been prepared to share that message with you. Even the person who's been prepared to share the gospel with you. It might be a parent, 
It might be a friend, a colleague, someone in a church, a minister, an elder. Who knows who the Lord might be preparing? Somebody who maybe you've never even met before uh, to come and, and to, to give you a word in season that, that was going to be used by the Lord for the salvation of your soul. And if you are a Christian here uh, today, then you can think back in your own Christian life and you can, you can probably maybe, uh, maybe not in every case, but some of you anyway might be able to identify the particular sower that planted the, the seed in, in, in your heart. And maybe when you think about your Christian life, you think of it as beginning at that point where you heard the gospel and you maybe started grappling with the gospel whenever you heard the gospel first. But, but actually, uh, that, that's not where the work of God begins. The work of God even began before that, even before you became aware of the, the reality of the gospel, when he was preparing that person, whoever that person was, to actually come and to actually share the good news of uh, the Lord uh, Jesus uh, Christ with you. And that's what we want ourselves now as those who are Christians. We want to be used in that way. We want to be um, used by the Lord to scatter that seed elsewhere. Maybe to people we don't, haven't even met yet. People we don't even know. To share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe as some shared it with us at one time. So the Lord then he leads uh, Paul here to, to fill it by. So Paul comes. And it's Paul's uh, usual practice. He, he's, he's got this practice where he, he, he goes, he tends to go first of all to the synagogue. He's got this uh, approach of um, to the, the Jew first and then the Greek. That, that's, his, that's his mentality and that, that's his mission and he does that. Uh, but the problem here is there's not actually a synagogue but, but unusual. There, there was no synagogue here. But he finds out that there's a, some kind of a gathering of Jews um, outside the city by the riverside and that they're meeting for prayer. And it seems to be the case anyway that it's, that it's at least mainly women who are, who are there which may explain why there's no synagogue in the place if it was mainly uh, women, uh, Jews. Uh, and they're gathering there. And in verse 13, we, we note there that Paul, he, he um, sits down and he, he's talking to the, the woman there. Now, I say mainly women. We don't actually know if there were any men there. We're, we're told that he sits with a woman. There may, there may well have been some men there. We're not really told. But the point is, it's the woman he sits with. It's the woman that he comes and it's the woman that he, that he uh, sits with uh, during uh, this uh, prayer meeting and during uh, this uh, discussion. And I think that's interesting because... A lot of people, you know, I mentioned to the kids, a lot of people think that there's things wrong in the Bible. Um, and a lot of people actually make out Paul, especially, to be a very sexist man. Um, they make out Paul to be someone who's very much uh, against uh, women, doesn't give any time to, to women at all. But, you know, look at what we have here. This is the first recorded gospel message in Philippi. The first recorded gospel message in the whole of the continent of Europe. And, and who is it directed to? It's directed here to a, a group of women. Um, it, it was a man of Macedonia that he saw in his vision. The dream was a man of Macedonia. But it's the Lord died directs him here very specifically to this group of, of uh, women, this first gospel encounter here with this, this group of, of uh, women. So it's very unfair to say that Paul is sexist, he has no time for women. That, that's not the Paul that we see in, in Scripture uh, at all. So the Lord, he prepares the sower. So the scene is set. Now, secondly, I want to move on now to look at the Lord preparing the ground. So this is us thinking about Lydia now. So we've seen Paul being prepared, led here, he's ready. Now we're thinking about the ground of Lydia's heart. That's what the ground means in the parable of the sower. It's the, the idea of, of the heart. So what do we know about this, this woman here? What, what do we know about Lydia? Well, we, we see there that she is from uh, Thyatira. And uh, actually, um, Thyatira is a town in a, in a larger region. And, and the region is actually called Lydia. So there's, there's actually a bit of doubt as to whether this woman's actually called Lydia or not. It, it, it might be the case 
that maybe she is called Lydia, but it may also be the case that the locals in Philippi called her Lydia because she was, she's the Lydian one, she's from uh, Lydia. That's uh, something we do, yeah, that's, that's in our culture very often, especially when you have so many Donalds and Johns. We refer to people based on geography, where they're from, where they're brought up, village or, or island. They did the same thing here as well. So here you have Lydia from this uh, place, that's the, the overall place called Lydia, but specifically she is from uh, Thyatira. And, and what is special about that place? What, what, what can we learn from that that can help us to understand something about Lydia and something about uh, her, her experience here? Well, there's two uh, important facts that we, that we can glean from the fact that she was from uh, Thyatira. And the first fact is that it was a place that was famous for purple dye and textiles. So it was famous for that. And we know as well from, from a reading that, that Lydia was a woman who was trading in this. She was trading in this purple dye. Now, why is that important? Well, that's important because um, it's only rich people who could buy purple, purple clothing. Uh, it's hard for us to understand how one colour can be more expensive than the other. But in this day, purple was a, was a rich person's colour. Uh, and that means that if, if, if Lydia is, is selling this, then she's probably going to be doing pretty well for herself. She would have been a wealthy woman. And actually, there's, there's evidence later on in the passage that highlights that she probably was quite wealthy. Remember that when they go to meet in the house, where do they meet? It's Lydia's house. It's obviously big enough for them to actually meet. So Lydia seems to be a pretty well-off businesswoman. And again, why is that important? Well, I think that's important because, as Jesus tells us, sometimes that can be a barrier. Sometimes wealth can be a barrier to the, to the gospel. So in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 19 and in verse 24, well-known words, Jesus says, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man or woman to enter into the kingdom of God. And, and that, that, is, that is absolutely true, isn't it? We, we know that ourselves in, in our culture. Money and a kind of a comfortable life, it can create all sorts of barriers, all sorts of barriers to, to the gospel and to people accepting the, the gospel. And because people get blinded. They get blinded by how comfortable life is and blinded by money now that things might change very quickly with the way things are going. But generally speaking, relatively so, um, people are comfortable. Um, people have a lot. And, and, and all of these uh, things, they can blind us from our need of Christ. And, and you know, we're aware of that. Even in Harris itself, so many people, they, they just don't really see their need. Don't really see their, their need for the things of, of the Lord Jesus. And as Jesus was saying, yes, it's impossible for a camel to go through the Isle of Needle. And yes, it's impossible for a, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. But with the Lord, and this is the important point, part with the Lord the impossible is made uh, possible and here we're going to see the Lord at work in this wealthy woman someone who you might think wouldn't have any need of Christ and he's working in the heart of this woman and he's going to uh, bring her to faith in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ so that's one important fact about Thyatira the link to the, the purple and the indication that Lydia's probably well off another important uh, fact about where she's from is that it's a it's a place where there, there was a, a known community of Jews here um, you know, Philippi seems to be a bit different, not as many Jews. But in, in Thyatira, there was a known community of Jews. So, so when she grew up there, she would have had a, a fair bit of interaction uh, with, with the Jewish, Jewish faith. We, we, we don't know for sure if she was a Jew. We don't actually read that, that, that she was a Jew. But highly likely, when she was growing up there in Thyatira, she would have come to learn about the God of the Jews. And she would have become accustomed to worshipping uh, according uh, to um, the, the Jewish practice. And we, we read in verse 14 there that she was a worshipper of God. That's what this woman was. She, she was a worshipper of God. And that word there, depends what translations you're reading, some, sometimes it's, it's uh, translated as, as, as God-fearing. She, she feared the Lord. That, that's the idea. That she was a worshipper of God, that she was a God-fearer, a God-fearing woman. Her upbringing has instilled that in her. Her upbringing has instilled in her a sense of God, 
and a sense of the fear of, of the Lord as well. And, and I think that's true for many in our communities here as well. Maybe less so now, but it's still there. It's, 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 it's still there. People's upbringing here have, uh, I think, largely given some kind of a sense of God, um, some kind of a, a sense as well of, of the fear of the Lord. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that people are, are saved. And, you know, you, you'd be amazed how many people will, will say, well, I'm amazed when, when I speak to people, how many people will say, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sense that I haven't put my faith and trust in him. I'm not a Christian, but I'm a God-fearer. You know, I, I'm a God-fearer. I have this sense of, 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 of worshipping the Lord. And I think that's legitimate. I, think, I, think, I do think that's a, a legitimate uh, distinction. And I suspect if I asked everyone in here, I obviously don't know you all, um, but I suspect if I asked most people here, you, you would all probably say, like, well, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a God-fearer. Yes, I am. I, I, I fear the Lord. Uh, you, you might say, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a Christian, but I, I'm a God-fearer. You haven't committed your life to Christ. You haven't taken Jesus as your Lord uh, and, and your Savior, but you fear the Lord. And, and I think that is true, because we have an example of it here. Um, even before Lydia was converted, this is before she's saved, she's a God-fearer. Before she's actually put her faith in Jesus, she has this sense of, of uh, being a worshiper, a, a God-fearer. But the thing is, there's different kinds of God-fearing. That's the issue here. The kind of God-fearing that the Lord's people experience is different to the kind of God-fearing that, that, that happens in someone who's not a, a believer. Because uh, for some people, maybe you've got a, a godly fear that will keep you at a distance from God. So, for example, some people, maybe, maybe you believe that there is a God. Maybe you believe in heaven and hell. Maybe you believe that Jesus existed, that Jesus died on the cross. You believe all these facts. You believe the Bible, like I was saying to the children, you believe that this is the word of God. Um, you, you believe that it's uh, correct. You, you believe all of these things. But all of these facts that you believe um, result in uh, this kind of fear of God where you keep God at a distance. You don't want to come near God. It's, it's, you want the distance. You, do, you don't want to come draw near to him. You don't want the Lord to, to draw near to you. It's, it's, it's a, a God-fearing that's actually keeping you away from God. That's not the kind of God-fearing that the, the Lord's people experience. Um, at one point, perhaps you all experience that kind of God-fearing that keeps you away. But as the Lord's people, when the Lord works in our hearts, the kind of God-fearing that we experience is a, 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 a reverent fear of the Lord that draws us towards him. We come in our sinfulness, and we acknowledge our sinfulness, and we ask the Lord for forgiveness. We ask the Lord for uh, salvation. We, we're drawn towards him. We have this positive desire to come uh, before uh, the Lord. So you've got two different kinds of, of godly fear there. One godly fear that pushes you away, and another godly fear that draws you in. And you have to ask yourself, well, okay, I'm a God-fearer, but what, what kind of God-fearer am I? Am I the kind of person that wants to keep God at a distance, keep away from the Lord? Or is it that positive fear that's drawing me towards that desire to know the Lord and to come and to have my uh, sins forgiven. My, my, my prayer is that for everyone in here that the case would be the latter, but if it's not the case, ask the Lord to transform your heart. Ask the Lord to give you that desire to draw you to himself, to have that positive godly fear that leads you to, to salvation. So here then, Lydia, she's a God-fearer, but she's not saved. God-fearer, but not yet saved. And, and at this point, her, her heart is closed to the things of God. But then what happens is the Lord begins to open it up in, in verse Again, later on in verse 14, we read there amazing words, simple words as well. The Lord opened her heart. That's it. Just, just those words. The Lord opened her heart. You have all these amazing stories and acts. So many, the, the thousands converted at Pentecost, uh, the, the Ethiopian eunuch as well, another amazing story. You've got, uh, like I mentioned before, Saul, um, Philippian jailer, all of these different amazing uh, stories. And with all these other conversions, 
what, what you get is, it's almost like an outside view. It's like an outside view of what's going on. It's like we see what externally what's happening, the bright light or the, the earthquake and, and all these things. But, but here, when we're looking at Lydia, we get an inside view of what happens. And when we look at this inside view, you, you see what's going on inside the person. And it's actually a, a change that's going on uh, within the heart itself. And that's, as I mentioned earlier on, that's a work that's hidden. It's invisible. It could be happening right now and you and the person beside you can't see it. You know, you'd see an earthquake. A flash in the sky, you'd see that. You can't see this. It's, it's a hidden work of the Lord. And the Lord is reminding us there, in case there was any doubt about it, salvation is his work. Salvation is absolutely his work. For example, the thousands at Pentecost, they weren't saved because Peter preached an amazing sermon. They, they weren't saved because Peter preached a compelling sermon. That's not why they were saved. Peter did preach a compelling sermon. That's not why they were saved. Uh, Saul as well on the road, he wasn't saved because he saw a bright light. Again, he did see a bright light, but again, that, that's not why he was saved. Something was going on inside, something invisible, something inside the heart where the Lord is at work, renewing, transforming, opening up their, their, their hearts. And that's what's happened with us as well. If, if you're here today and you're, you're one of the Lords, this has happened to you. What you read of here with Lydia, it's happened to you. The Lord has, has opened up uh, your heart because uh, na- naturally speaking, our hearts would be hard to the gospel. Be hard to the gospel. Um, naturally speaking, we are, we are blinded from the truths of these things, blinded by the God of this age, blinded by uh, the, the, the devil uh, himself. And, and you know, supposing, I don't know who you think the greatest preacher of all time was, supposing the greatest preacher of all time, well, Paul or Peter uh, or one of these um, uh, preachers of the New Testament, if, if, if they came in here today and they preached the, the most uh, compelling, powerful sermon that you absolutely ever heard, it would do nothing for your soul unless unless the Lord comes in and opens up your heart. And that's what we pray for in your congregation, in our community. We, we want that. We, we, we scatter the seed, absolutely, but we want the Lord to open up hearts because it's only then that we'll see people come to faith. And when the Lord does that, when he opens up your heart, when he breaks it up and when he, when he opens it, it up, then when the seed of the gospel land, it produces fruit and you, all of a sudden you'll find yourself with a desire for the things of God, a desire for the gospel, a desire to be with the Lord's people, a joy that you never knew before as well. It becomes like you're hearing the gospel for the first time, even if you've heard it multiple times. Everything changes. Your your heart, your desires, your affections, all of these uh, things change. And that that leads to our third point, and and just briefly on the third point, the Lord producing the fruit. So we've seen the Lord preparing the sower, um, the Lord uh, preparing the ground, but thirdly, the Lord producing the, 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 the fruit here. Because just to take a step back a wee bit, the Lord has, has prepared the heart of Lydia, but that in itself is not enough. The, the, the heart has to be prepared, yes, the ground has to be prepared, but it's important as well that the seed of the gospel is planted there. It's not just that the ground needs to be ready. Yes, you need to have good ground, but the seed needs to land in it. The gospel needs to, to come in, and it's that combination of the prepared ground and the gospel that brings this, this uh, fruit. And we read there in verse 14 that Lydia, her heart has been opened at this point, and now Lydia paid attention to what was said. Uh, by, by Paul. She paid attention. And the, the, the English doesn't uh, quite catch that, but the idea there is she's, she's gripped. It's not just she's listening. She is listening. She, she is listening and she doesn't stop listening. She, she keeps on, she is gripped by, by uh, what is, what is uh, being explained to her here by Paul and the others as well. And again, as I mentioned earlier, that's what happens. When, you're, when your heart is opened up like that, you'll have that desire. You, you, you'll be gripped by the word. Again, maybe you have heard it thousands of times before, but when the Lord works in your heart, it's, it's, it's very different. You're gripped by it. You hear it and you, and you want to listen and you want to keep hearing what God is, is uh, saying. And here Paul would have explained here to Lydia all about Jesus. And he, he would have um, explained to her the long-awaited Messiah of the Old Testament that the, the whole Old Testament is about. He's here. It's Jesus. He would have explained to her that 
Jesus, the one who, who the, the, the Jews killed and crucified, that that, that that is the Messiah, the Son of God himself, and that because of his death, because of his suffering on the cross, there's salvation, there's forgiveness of sin, there's all these things. And he would have told her to repent, be baptized, all of these things. Paul would have explained all of that. And, and because, this is important, because the Lord has opened her heart, she's, she takes heed of what's spoken to her by Paul. She takes heed of these things. See, the seed of the gospel, it bears fruit, and it bears a fruit here to, to eternal life. And she puts her faith in the Lord. She's able to. See, once the Lord opens your heart, it's not just that you're unable to hear it. It's more than that. It's that you're unable to respond to it. You're unable to actually put your faith and trust in Christ. When God works in your heart, yes, he opens your, your, your ears, he opens your heart, but he enables you to come towards him. He enables you to put your faith and trust in him. Something that seems so easy for the, for the, for the Lord's people, put your faith and trust in Jesus, seems so easy. But when you're outside of Christ, when your heart is closed, you can't physically do that. But when the Lord opens your heart, you're drawn in and you're able. You're able to respond. You're able to put your faith in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have this uh, amazing uh, conversion here. And, and again, you know, I mentioned, you know, when you think about all the other conversions in the, the book of Acts, all the other amazing kind of uh, conversions that are brought about by miracles and healings and earthquakes and lights and all these things. And yet here you've got a woman who, who's just got, had the gospel explained to her sitting beside a river. That's it. It's as simple as that after a prayer meeting. And, and she's saved. She's converted. The Lord comes in. The Lord transforms her heart. And I think that's a reminder to us that we must never lose sight of the power of the gospel. Because we can lose sight of that. We can start to think that it's all to do with the outward and, and, and to do with the, the outward things that we can do or experience. Uh, we, we have to remember the power of the gospel itself. The gospel message of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. That, that is the ordinary way in which the Lord brings people to himself. When I say ordinary theological speak probably it's, it's an extraordinary thing but it's a usual way that the lord works through the, the, the sharing of the gospel message and that, that should be a, a massive encouragement to us to, to do that to wherever we are in work and families and community to, to share the gospel and to remember the power of the gospel to, to remember what the gospel can actually do in the lives of people it's not our job to do the saving it's not our job to do the groundwork we've seen that but it is our job to scatter the seed it is our job to to share the, the good news of uh, the lord uh, jesus christ so so let's do that let's be encouraged to do that and remember the power of of this gospel message and as well you see evidence here of her newfound faith as well that's another thing that's important when you come to faith there'll be evidence of that you know sometimes it's called marks of grace evidence that you've actually come to faith evidence that you've been transformed i mentioned some of them before your desire for hunger for the word of god a, a desire for, for for worship a desire to know jesus more there's, there's lots of different evidences that, that we've come to faith and you see something of of, of this evidence here in, in the life of lydia as well because notice she, she makes her her home a place of fellowship and hospitality for Paul and his, his companions. So in verse 15, after she was baptized and her household uh, as well, notice her whole household is baptized, uh, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I mean, that, she wanted to, to use what she had, her house, probably a wealthy woman, like I said, she wanted to use that for the cause and to bring God's people together. And, and that's exactly what you, you see here. And then, interestingly, that's why I read to the end of the chapter. Remember after Paul and Silas, remember when they're miraculously freed from the, the prison cell? At the very end of chapter 16, where do they go? You know, after, after that ordeal, where do they go? Verse 40, they go to Lydia's house. They go to Lydia's house. They meet with the brethren. She, she makes her house a place where the Lord's people meet. She wants to be in the fellowship of, of, of God's people. And that's how it should be as Christians. Lord's people should have that desire. That desire to, to come together, not just on a 
Kosher is good on a Sunday or a midweek as well to gather together physically to be together. But more than that, to, to, be, to get to know one another, to be, to be part of one another's lives, praying with one another, regularly fellowshipping with, with one another. That, that's part of the evidence that we've come to faith, this desire to be with the Lord's people. And you, you, you see that here with Lydia. So you have this conversion here, which from the outside, uh, maybe it might seem like maybe one of the most uh, unimpressive and uh, unremarkable uh, conversions in the whole of the, the, the book of, of Acts. But yet, it's an important one. It's an important one because here you get an inside view of, of, of what's going on in, in salvation without the fireworks, without the earthquake, without the shining lights, without the outward signs. You see the Lord coming in, gospel being explained, the Lord opening the heart and enabling this woman to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and surely our prayer is that be the case for, for all of us, every one of us in here, that the Lord would work in that way, that the Lord would work in that way in those we know and love and we pray for. Pray for conversion. Pray for uh, people's hearts to be transformed. And then go out of the gospel. You have to do both things, don't you? Pray for that work to be done by the Lord, but we also have to go out and scatter the seed. So let us do that. Let us do it to the glory of God and to leave the work of salvation up to the Lord uh, himself. Amen. May the Lord bless uh, these few thoughts to us. We're going to uh, pray now, so I'm just going to bow in prayer and then we'll sing our our last psalm. Uh, Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the power of the gospel message. Uh, and even the, the, the simplicity and the gentleness of what we see even in the life of Lydia there, especially in the context of the surrounding passages and, and some of the perhaps dramatic conversions that we see even in the, the, the very same chapter that we read. And yet to see uh, Lydia's heart just opened up as, as the gospel is explained and for her to put her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O oh Lord, that that will be true for, for all of us in here. And if, if there are some who are still outside of Christ, may, may you open their hearts, may, may you draw them in, and, and may they be aware of that themselves. May they, may they understand the desire for the things of God. It's not something that can be, can be brought about for themselves, but only from you. You are the one who begins the work and you are the one who completes the work. And help us to do our part in scattering the seed and sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So cleanse us, wash us, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit continue with you all now and forevermore. Amen.